Welcome to Digging the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways of bringing these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the Online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and Space to Meditate and an MBSR teacher and trainer. Greetings, Doug. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you, John? I'm hanging in there. You know, it's like the <laughs> heat of the political season. I'm trying to avoid the news and then like getting a kick out of what's going on across the pond in the UK and having dinner with a, a friend from my old life who's come over from England next week. And I'll be very curious to see how he's holding up. But uh, yeah, I mean, crazy. I just hope that when, when we go live with this podcast, things aren't even worse than that. Yeah, right well, now. we'll find out. It, I mean, this podcast will probably come out after our election. So yeah, you never you know. know around the time of the election anyway. Yeah. And uh, without taking sides, we just want, <laughs> because we shouldn't take sides. And <laughs> no, why not? We can take sides. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. Take sides in, in, on behalf of wisdom and there compassion. You go. There you go. And, you know, it's all about how we perceive the outcome. So, uh, right. which brings us to today's topic of perception. perception. Yeah. It's more than That's we a think. That's big one. <laughs> Yeah, and and, I mean, how do you, t when you, uh, I'm sure you've given classes on perception. I gave, uh, yeah, I did do a whole class and I, I should have looked at the notes from many years ago that I used for that. But I I, I was talking about it yesterday, uh, actually, because I, I I am teaching a class now, which is sort of focused around the, the, uh, the aggregates of clinging of which perception is one. And I had just listened to a podcast on uh, Fresh Air which had an interview with uh, this writer, um, Ed Yong, uh, mm -hmm. who has just come out with a book called, I think, The World, The Immensity of the World. And it was about how other uh, animals perceive. Ah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating because, you know, not that we didn't necessarily know this, but he just went over so many different kinds of animals. And, and you realize that, you know, because we are so uh, anthropocentric, like we think that everything we're seeing is all there is. And we really, you know, mm -hmm. when you hear about what, how other animals perceive, you realize, you know, what we perceive is like a pretty small percentage of what's really out there. Oh yeah. And, and then of course, when we look at our own perception and see how limited that is, it's really quite something. And so, you know, and it's a really important part of practice <clears throat> to recognize well, basically, what's true and what's not, and how our own mind, or, you know, who our how our habitual mind, at least, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, gets us in trouble, basically. Yeah, it's that layer of interpretation over the perceptions. There's so many. There's so much complexity here because you've got the perceptions themselves. They're different types. They're yeah. qualitative experience that you have in the moment, and there's a lot of. Buddhism, especially later Buddhism, about all that about that qualitative experience in the moment. Uh, but then there's the, the the this whole screen of interpretations we put on them. That's part of perception yeah. in in the, in the Buddhist understanding yeah. of it, because yeah. perception is thick in Buddhism. It's it's a it's a in an interpretive kind of move. Yeah, and you know, in the within the say mindfulness based stress reduction curriculum. A week kind of dedicated to perception because ah oh, really okay well we you know we we 
we offer between the first week and the second week, one of the things we ask people to do is the notorious nine dots puzzle. You know, ah, yes, yes, I remember For that those one. of you that don't know the nine dots puzzle, it's well, you, basically you shouldn't, shouldn't nine give, dots. Don't give them the secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I won't. It's nine dots that you see, and, and they're they're put in the shape of a square. And, uh, oh, I don't mind if I give them the secret. But, but uh, <laughs> I mean, what's really interesting about it is how people see it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's the visual aspect of the nine dots puzzle and, and what people see. And then there's the written instruction, how people read the instruction and what they get out of the instruction. And then there's the, the trying, you know, the, the, the perception of the person doing it about how they deal with puzzles, right? So they put themselves in a particular mold, in a particular box. They, oh, I hate puzzles or I love puzzles. I'm just, you know, and then there's the perception of how I should go about doing it. So it's huge, as you say, it's very yeah. thick. Mm-hmm. And what it really comes down to in the context of the course is the, the, you know, the perceptions we have of ourselves and how we get stuck on that. To say nothing about the perception we have of others and how we get stuck on that. And of course, in practice, through mindfulness, you know, we start to see that much more clearly. And through insight, we not only see the perception, the limited perceptions we might have, but we also note that the perceptions are constantly changing on all of those same levels. And so when you talk about it being thick, that's a really good adjective. I mean, it's like, yeah, there's a lot to kind of inquire about here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a big topic when I was doing my PhD in philosophy, a big topic in contemporary analytic philosophy is the role of perception, how we understand it. In fact, my dissertation was sort of tangentially related to perception. So, <laughs> yeah, and and so that that this idea of thick, the thickness of perception mm-hmm. is something from from philosophy where they talk about different ways of understanding perception because there's one view of it where perception is just what we call, uh, what in philosophy is termed qualia, or the qualitative experience of our, let's say, seeing. And then we can talk about, as you said, the difference between the way humans see, let's say the way somebody, uh, a human who can see three colors, uh, you know, the standard three primary colors Mm -hmm. would see differently from somebody who is colorblind. Right. And there are different kinds of colorblind. There's black-white colorblind. There's also people who can only see two primary colors. Yeah. Um, but then there are birds, of course, who can see four, or I think there's even some that can see five primary colors. So they have a much broader range of yeah. qualitative experience. Yeah. And so that, and there's a, there's a, a famous philosophy paper by uh, Thomas Nagel called What It's Like to Be a Bat, where he talks about, <laughs> right. um, you know, the fact the that bats, yeah, yeah, have, ha- see, see the world through echolocation. Yeah which is a completely different kind of uh, modality that we don't have any access to. Uh, what's that like? Um, so that's one, that's a sort of a thin perception, but then there's this thicker idea of uh, that perception really comes to us pre-interpreted, so that when we look out at the world, we don't just see colors and shapes, we see chairs and trees right. and people, and and that can be useful, of course, because it helps us get around. I mean, you know, we the mind interprets things immediately, which helps us a lot, so that we know that something is a bus, you know, uh, rather than trying to sort of figure it out on sure, the go. Sure, sure. But on the other hand, 
it, it also comes with pitfalls because we overinterpret people. We, you know, let's say we see somebody and their mere face makes us cringe or, or get angry because we think of something that they've done to us, not to mention other kinds of prejudice that can happen right. just simply by by seeing. So that's that's the notion of of our perception being interpreted by the the, the mind itself. Or, or right. you know, we, we we receive it, but it's received through all the filters that have accumulated in the mind and then that's actually yep. what we're seeing. So there's yep. the famous, I think it's a, there's a famous quote by Anais Nin uh, who says something to the effect of, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And, yeah, you know, yeah. that's really what we're talking about. And, and until that is seen through, basically, we're not really seeing. We're not really mm -hmm. seeing the truth. You know, I do, I do a practice. I often guide a practice of a seeing practice. And this difference between seeing and looking, for one thing, right? So when you're seeing, you're seeing is receptive. I mean, as a verb, it's more receptive. Looking is is actually looking for something. It's active. Yeah, it's more, more active. active. And in the receiving of an image, we note the mo immediate naming of that image, right? And the moment that image is named, we're actually no longer seeing that specific thing. We're seeing the the label in the mind has, you know, created another picture. And so it immediately gets sort of compared. And, and when you start to see how that works directly, you know, then you realize how often we misinterpret things and we mis we misperceive. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a, at really at the core of our practice in many ways, starting, yeah. starting in formal practice where, you know, we, I mean, formal meditation practice where, where we, you know, perceive a thought, we immediately identify it as a thought about me <laughs> or my thought. And really, it's just an impulse arising in this mind. And our misperception is thinking it's all about me. It is my thought, whatever it is. And so, you know, in the context of, of course, the five aggregates of clinging, it's the five aggregates of clinging to self. And so perception plays a huge role in how we perceive this being. We should probably explain the five yeah. aggregates for somebody who hasn't heard them yeah, before. Go for just it. The, <laughs> yeah, just the way that the way that the Buddha uh, carves up uh, the person, um, the the individual into five parts and analyzes the person. So there's one physical part, which is the body. I mean, form, but that's the body. And then four mental parts, which would be perception, feeling, which is our pains or pleasures, that sort of, uh, that's kind of feelings. Uh, the third is, is uh, uh, volitional formations. So that our actions, uh, looking would be a volitional formation mm -hmm. because it's a kind of action that we take. And a consciousness, which is right. the, the last one. So Yeah, it's usually, I think you mixed up the order. Not that it matters. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not yeah. the same. Yeah, it's usually a different order, but yeah. that's all right. The same. And it doesn't matter, really, because it's, yeah, you know, at any given time, this, the, we're clinging to one or the other, and we think that those things are fixed. Right. And, and so as we start to see more clearly, and I, I you know, it's one of my favorite teachings, because it, it does kind of, when you really start to sit with it, you start to see this continual flow of experience. And of course, our 
clinging to self is when we try to fix fix one of them mm-hmm. and uh, take credit for it or, or just recognize it. Yeah, I was going to say the Buddha talks about, um, I think there are four different in what they call inversions of perception. Um, so one is taking non-self as self, which is what you were just talking about. Yep. Then there's taking what is dukkha or painful as pleasure. Um, there's taking what's impermanent as permanent. And there's taking what's uh, not beautiful as beautiful. I think those are the four. And there may be another one. Maybe I'm forgetting one. But I think those are the ones I can remember anyway. Well, and they can be attributed to any of those aggregates. Yeah. 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 But there are different ways that uh, they're considered misperceptions. Right. I mean, they're so, I mean, just for an example, we often think of, I don't know, a, a good meal as being pleasure, pleasurable, you know, pleasurable or beautiful, you know. And the Buddha would say, no, they're not really. I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, of course, on a thin level, yeah, they are. But on a deeper level, they're not. Yeah. On a momentary level, they're, it might yeah. be beautiful to one person right. and not to another. I mean, right. you know, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and the, uh, all, when, it, when it comes to like illness, because one of the big teachings on perception is, um, remind me of the name of the, the sutta where Ananda goes to visit the, the man who's you know, dying or very ill. Um, and the whole Um, sutta is around perception. Um, yeah. Bantikudana Ratna did a whole book on that, didn't he? I think Um, you're right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, which is probably here somewhere. Yeah. I think in fact, we read it in one of your classes. Yes, we did. (laughs) If I remember right a long time ago. And it's a huge teaching. I mean, uh, you know, and, and it goes, you know, it actually, it's one of those teachings that goes through all the teachings in one teaching, but it (laughs) starts around perception and how we are, basically perceiving pain as bad or, or, you know, how do we receive illness? How do we, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's so important and, and so key to our own, to finding freedom really is, is just seeing how quickly we, I I should say how quickly the mind grabs onto something as fixed. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that leads, you know, in terms of the other aggregates that that can lead into volition it can lead into all sorts of fabrications and mental formations and on and on and on and as we know you know that on a societal level that creates massive problems because you know the, that's I mean, racism is about perception uh or not about perception but it's caused by misperception certainly mm-hmm. uh you know fixed boundaries are you know a formation but we see them as fixed and that's our perception that my my property ends here and your property ends here and if you cross over my property you're stepping on my property right <laughs> you know so there's that level of perception whether it's literally <clears throat> your home and my home or your country and my country or your state and my state and um and, you know, when we see it in play right now, just say in this country, you know, where you may have two states next to each other that have completely different laws about abortion or guns or whatever. And it's, oh, if you step on this line, suddenly all the laws have changed. And my perception is that there's more freedom here or one perception maybe that there's less freedom on this side, you know. And so this can, can really carry into major conflicts. Yeah. And and certainly major suffering, you know, on a on an individual level. 
So it's an important area of practice. Yeah, it's it's a practice, um, at least in the early tradition, uh, of sort of purifying your perceptions so that you get yourself away from these misperceptions, or at least that you understand that they may be temporarily useful in certain circumstances, but that you don't, you know, you don't rely upon them and you understand that they're uh, only conventionally true. Yeah, right. And it's sort of the trap is to think that that which is conventionally true is actually the truth, <laughs> mm. you know, beyond that moment. And even in that yeah. moment, it's not the truth. Uh, maybe useful, you know, certainly, but it's not, it's not all that there is. The issues with perception are, are really prior to language. Um, some people do sort of think that language is the problem, but problem, quote unquote, but you see similar kinds of behavior in non-human animals uh, that get just as caught up in, in their ego plays with each other. I mean, you see, uh, you see birds at the bird feeder struggling <laughs> over, you know, who's, who's, patch of bird feeder is theirs and and you know they're they'll fight each other over it or you know yeah we'll hear a sound and think it's the you know here's the the can opener and they know that it's the food you know it's it's they, they're you know they're they're uh they're able to it's con it's it's conceptual it, it can be conceptual even at a, at a pre-linguistic level so oh absolutely and it goes I think, very deep yeah and i think it's actually worth as part of one's practice is, you know, recognizing when language is actually the problem and when it's something else, I suppose. Mm. And, you know, just speaking of language, I mean, and we both live with people who speak, you know, at least two languages, even words in language, you know, a word in one language has one perception in another language. It can have another perception. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, how that's received or just a communication style, you know, uh, you know, so, so that dare I say, uh, and I'm going out on a slight, and this is my perception, right? That certain Latin countries, you know, communication styles can be very aggressive or sound very aggressive to, you know, my ear. And so I'm thinking somebody is being, my perception is, oh, this person is aggressive, whereas they're just being Italian or Spanish, you know, and it's, it's like, that's just the way communication happens sometimes. And it might not even be, or, you know, I hear a Southern accent and I immediately have a certain perception arising in my mind about this person. So there's language, there's tone, there's so much going on. And, you know, if, if we are able to step back from that before responding or reacting, that's where the freedom lies. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, there is, um, and this relates to the animals, of course. So, so you're talking about when you're talking about the birds, that's just fight or flight, literally, right? And it's, it's, um, and, and there's no, there, in their case, right? They don't have necessarily the capacity to recognize what we're talking about. So there's an immediate autonomic response, you know, physiologically to that to the perception which they see, which they're experiencing i.e that that bird is going to get the food before i do and so i have got to fight for it or that bird is bigger than me so i'll just take a backseat for a while right we of course have the, the the potential 
to recognize that, and, and this is where the teaching is really powerful, to recognize, well, is that true? <laughs> is that true? And what really is true? You know, in, in, in classic MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction formula, you know, it's, it's, we may start to feel our, our automatic reaction, but we know it's happening and then we look more clearly. And that reaction actually then can be something else you know, can be more of a response. And so that, that can be true with, you know, a literal threat to, to my normal way of being. It can be, you know, can, can respond. It can be a, a perception of a physical pain, which I think is what that teaching, we have to find that teaching and we'll put it in the, uh, in the uh, notes for the program. Oh uh, yeah, a big, sure. A big yeah. sutta. Um, and a, the, a link to the book. Too. Yeah, that's a good idea. We can we can receive the sensation of pain, and we can receive the resistance to that pain, which is habitual, or we can kind of recognize that resistance and see that it's causing more pain, and turn that resistance into something else, or, mm -hmm. or, or you know transform it into something else. And this is, I think, where the teaching gets really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the reasons why the Buddha always talks about how human life is, is precious, because we have an ability that um, non-human animals really don't, which is to see through this stuff. Uh, I think a lot of people tend to get disnified about the, the, the life of the animals in the, in the wild. Uh, and I think being out in the countryside, if you actually see the, the life of animals in the wild, uh, they're scared most of the time, at mm. least the ones who are prey animals. And they're scared for a reason because there's, you know, there's things out there that want to kill them uh, yeah. and eat them. And so if you see a bird at a bird feeder, they're looking in the sky all the time because right. there are hawks that will come down and get them. Yeah. And they do regularly because I've seen it <laughs> on a number of occasions. <laughs> and so their life is, is you know, is one of, uh, of a very close perception of their world uh, because they need to be very quick you know, and they overinterpret things the way we would expect. And, you know, if, a, if they have a pain, of course, they're not going to understand the things you were just talking about. But more, more plainly, they're not going to have any way to deal with it, really. Yeah, although I suspect their perception of pain is quite different, too. So Probably yeah, is. It's yeah. probably quite a bit less than ours would be. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if, if something happens to a bird, um, it's really not long for this world. Right, right. But it, yeah, and then... Presumably, with, with this kind of just a knowing of that, and it's like this yeah. is. Um, did, excuse me. Did you just use a word that I uh, that you made up, which is disnified? Disnified, yes. Oh, okay, <laughs> oh, that's, that, that's a good word. I have to remember that. Disnified, yeah. yeah. So I don't know, you know, but Bambi. That was a pretty tragic story. I mean, that was. You know, yeah, yeah. That was. That was yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So this is a big teaching, and we could go on about it. And there'll be a lot more to say in the future, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of perceptions, you know, there may be this perception that recording a podcast is expense-free. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there are actually expenses involved in recording a podcast. There's specific software and equipment and things like that. So, um, you rent stuff. Yeah, and, and... Online. You know, and while well, we're happy to kind of give our time for the moment, which is, you know, lovely and it's an act of generosity and fun for us. But we could really use the support of our listeners, so um, and our podcast receivers. And so, if if you're 
If you're getting something out of the podcast, let us know. You know, let us know. It'd be your your comments are very generous, and your buying us coffee is also very generous. Mm -hmm. So you can buy us a coffee at diggingthedrama.com and support uh, the support the podcast and the work that we're doing. Yeah, Yeah. but yeah, and and then you know, just I encourage people to really check out when there's a moment of of an obvious moment of suffering, dukkha discontent, imbalance, whatever, however you want to receive that word, just notice what your perception of the moment is. What is the suffering arising from? Is it a misperception? Is it a, is a fixed perception? You know, what's really happening in that moment? Yeah. Is it, a, is it, what is the thoughts? What are the thoughts like? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So hope this has been helpful. We'll look forward to being with you next time. I think it has been helpful. Yeah. It's certainly been helpful for me. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Thanks, John. All right. Take care. See you again. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a review on your local podcast directory. It would help us out a lot. You can check John out at johnaaron.net and Doug at Doug's Dharma on YouTube and his Patreon page linked in the notes. You've been listening to Diggin' the Dharma with Doug Smith and John Aaron. Thank you.